It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Untold Story podcast. I'm Martha McCallum, live right now in New Hampshire at the Bedford Village Inn as we cover the Republican primary here in New Hampshire, the first in the nation. The field has trimmed down a bit. It is now one-on-one after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis dropped out of the race just before this primary here in New Hampshire. And now it is down to former President Trump and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. On the campaign trail, I got to speak with both of the remaining candidates at campaign stops over the last 48 hours. I spoke with the front runner, former President Donald Trump, at a large rally at the Opera House in Rochester, New Hampshire on Sunday night. Here it is. President Trump, good to be with you tonight here in Rochester at the Opera House in New Hampshire. Obviously, very big news. Governor Ron DeSantis dropped out of the race. What's your reaction? Well, look, he worked very hard. It's a tough and he worked hard. His wife is a terrific woman. They both worked very hard and he endorsed me in dropping out. He endorsed me. So I appreciate that very much. And I think we'll do very well. I think we're headed to a very big victory state, just like in Iowa. And I think maybe now it even gets to be bigger because most of those people are going to go with me, I suspect. So he was supposed to come here to New Hampshire tonight, but he stayed in Florida. Did you speak with him? No, I did. Somebody wanted to have a call, but I wasn't able to because, you know, I'm doing you. And then I go and make a big speech. There are a lot of people waiting right now. But he fought very hard. It's a very tough thing to do. Well, you guys traded a lot of tough words during the course of the campaign. You called him the sanctimonious. And then in the statement tonight, he brought up COVID and your elevation of, of Fauci. Did you see his statement as embracing and, and really endorsing in a full-throated way? It's very hard for him. He's going out and it's like you feel wonderful when you do it. So he said, uh, I think we did a fantastic job on COVID. Uh, nobody knew. You know, I've been given tremendous credit for the economy, for the military, for foreign policy. The one thing I've never been given credit for was the job we did on COVID. We did a fantastic job with all of the uh, all of the medicines. And all, if you look at Regeneron, all of the things that we did, we did a fantastic job, have never been given the credit for that. And basically, I allowed the governors to do their states and people like Henry McMaster, who was here yesterday, who, by the way, endorsed me. You know, he's the governor of South Carolina. Almost every politician in South Carolina endorsed me, which is a little bit tough for Nikki. But when you go and you do a job like that, I relied very little on Fauci. By comparison, Fauci became much more important for Joe Biden. He liked Fauci, but he was there for like 40 years. And he was out there every day in all of the news conferences. But if you listen to Fauci, I mean, many of the things that Fauci recommended, as you know, you know, he wanted to keep it open to China. And I said, no way, we're not going to keep it up. He actually admitted after that that I saved hundreds of thousands of lives. I closed it immediately to China. And everybody said, what are you doing? There was a room of 11 people. He was one of them. And they all said no. And now they give me credit for having closed it. It would have been far worse. So no, but when Ron goes out, I thought he was actually pretty gracious, to be honest, because okay. I think the fact that he endorsed was yeah. a big factor. But if you think about it, he wants low taxes, and I gave the largest tax decrease or cut in the history of our country, bigger than Ronald Reagan. 
Uh, Would you do larger cuts, corporate yeah, cuts? Yeah, I was planning on doing it. In fact, uh, had the result been different, the result was just fine, by the way. Uh, you'll probably cut that out, but that's okay. But uh, there are more votes than any sitting president in the history of our country. Uh, but had had I been uh, president at the time, we would have had uh, a lower debt. We were going to pay off. We were going to drill, baby, drill. You know, we were going to drill and get our inflation down. The inflation has been killing our country. No matter what you're making, the inflation just wiped it out and just ate it up. And uh, we were going to do some phenomenal things for the country. And then, you know, the result of the election was not uh, did not make a lot of people very happy, frankly. Let me ask you about Ron DeSantis. You said you didn't speak. Did he reach out to you? And I'd rather not comment. Maybe ask Ron that question, but I'd rather not comment. But he was very nice. Look, he left. It's a very hard thing to do. He left. Somebody said, what are you going to do with the name De Sanctimonious? I said, that name is officially retired as of this moment. We are retiring that name. So would you, can you see him potentially in your administration? I mean, how, how much uh, do you think you could work together after the race? It's so raw right now. You know, when you asked me that question, I heard about this two hours ago. So this is just something that just took place as I was coming here. And we have a tremendous audience outside. So I haven't thought in terms of that. But look, I got along with him very well until... This happened and uh, he ran against me. I got him elected. I actually got him elected. That was not even a question. And uh, he ran. So I was insulted by that. I didn't think it was appropriate. And uh, now uh, I guess it doesn't matter to me much anymore. Um, so Nikki Haley says now she has the two person race that she's always wanted. She has been coming after you strongly in the past few days. It's worked both ways um, and you've come after her as well. She she keeps bringing up your age lately. What do you say about that? Well, I think I'm a lot sharper than her. I would do this. I would sit down right now and take an aptitude test, and it would be my result against her result, and she's not going to win, not going to even come close to winning. In fact, when I heard the word cognitive, you know, I've taken two of them now. I took one with Doc Ronnie, who's now a fantastic, you know, White House doctor, mm -hmm. and a fantastic uh, congressman from Texas, Admiral, the White House doctor, Jackson, Ronnie Jackson, and he's uh, now a great congressman from Texas. I took uh, one then and I took one recently. I think the result was announced and it was, I aced it twice. I aced it. But I would say that, you know, I've actually called for a cognitive test for anybody running for president because I actually think that's a good idea. It'd be nice to have an intelligent person be president. Yeah. But uh, Haley has too, I believe. So how do you see the race between the two of you in the, in the coming days as as close well, as you know, Hampshire? you know what the number is. She's getting killed. She's she's being destroyed in that race. And uh, when she when we get to South Carolina, I'm up 40 or 50 points. On her. I saw a poll today that 51 point. I'm up 51 points and she was governor. You saw last night we had a tremendous crowd. We had a record setting crowd last night and almost the entire delegation of politicians, the governor, the lieutenant, everybody, all people that worked with her, they were there endorsing me. And the entire state has practically endorsed me, but we're way up. We're up anywhere from 40 to 50 points in South Carolina. We're up in Nevada. Don't forget, we go to Nevada. Nobody mentions this. We go to Nevada before we go to South Carolina. Right. And in going to Nevada, I have 100% of the vote because they looked at the polls, both Ron too. They looked at the polls and they withdrew. You know, it's a caucus state. Right. And uh, they look she's at, on a ballot and you're on a caucus. It's well, very confusing. No, 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 no. It's <laughs> the delegates. Uh, yeah. There's no reason to be on a ballot exactly. because you don't get any delegates. Right. That's just a sham. Uh, no, it's a caucus state and mm -hmm. I'm the only one in the game. So we get 100 percent. And that's, you know, relatively big state. And nobody mentions that. But when we go to South Carolina, we're 
very strong in South Carolina. So in terms of Nikki Haley and the future and what happens, there's always this discussion about potentially a third candidate, a no labels candidate. Chris Christie's name has been mentioned. Nikki Haley's name has been mentioned. I'm not sure if she would be eligible um, with the sore loser laws. But what do you think about that? What would your message be to candidates who might consider doing that? Well, they usually uh, they pick candidates that failed in other parties. I mean, look, you have two parties. It really is a two party system. It was designed for that. And uh, usually when you see no labels or you see third party candidates, uh, the one that had an impact was Ross Perot, I would say more so than anybody even close. But uh, generally speaking, it's uh, people that have been losers in their own party, and that's what they do. Uh, some of these third parties, many of them help me a lot if the Democrats are not happy with it. And I like a two-party system. So in, just one quick question about foreign policy, because today, you know, we continue to hear about these attacks yeah, by Iran proxies up. all over the Middle East. Now you've got Pakistan hitting Iran. How do, do you think that something is about to really be you mean like World War Three? You mean like World War Three? What do you Absolutely. think? We have a man as our president who is grossly incompetent. He can't put two sentences together. He can't walk off the stage. He can't find the stairs. And he's negotiating with Putin with President Xi of China, very, whether you like it or not, very intelligent men, very powerful men, and very vicious men, too. They love their country or they want their country to succeed. And we have a man that uh, is not capable, in my opinion, of doing it. Look, take a look at the Middle East. Take a look at the whole world. When I left, there was no problem. I defeated ISIS. There was no, never going to be an attack on Israel. There was never going to be an attack on Ukraine. Putin would have never done that, never, for two reasons. Number one, he would have never done it because of me. But he also wouldn't have done it because oil was at $40 a barrel as opposed to $100 a barrel. And, you know, gasoline was under $2. Now it's uh, very high, coming down because they're doing, they're throwing everything they possibly can to get at it. But right after the election, if that ever happened, and you just better hope to God it doesn't happen where he gets in because he's destroying this country. But I, I know you have to go, but um, we just heard speakers up there talking about not wanting to be involved in foreign wars at all. So would you hit Iran? Would you would you be aggressive against Iran? Iran would have never done it. Look, when I had things go, I had things go. We had the greatest economy ever. But also I told China, I told every country, if you do, if you buy one barrel of oil from, if you one barrel of oil from Iran, if you buy anything, you're not, you, we are not doing business in the United States. And Iran was broke. And they said it. I watched a, a congressman, a Democrat congressman two weeks ago, three weeks ago on one of the shows, I think it was to face the nation. And he said that whether you like Trump or not, Iran was broke. They had no money to, you know, to sell out for, for terror because they are the primary source of terror. They were totally stone cold broke. And Hamas wasn't getting money and Hezbollah wasn't getting money. Nobody was getting money. And we had no terror attacks during mine. And, you know, Victor Orban, whether people like him or not, he was he's tough Controversial and smart. Character. Well, he's, he's tough. He's smart and mm -hmm. tough and uh, amazing in many ways. Uh, he's the prime minister of Hungary. And they asked him the other day, three weeks ago, to be exact, they asked him what What's going on? The whole world is collapsing. There's so many, you know, the Middle East, and now you have all of this and what's happening over the last two days with Yemen. He said, bring Trump back. When Trump was here, everybody was afraid of him. I don't want to use that word afraid, but that's the word he used. Everybody was afraid of Trump. China was afraid of him. 
Uh, Russia was afraid of them. Everybody. Look, I ended the Russia pipeline. You never heard of Nord Stream 2 until I came along. I terminated it. And then for some reason, Biden allowed it to be built. We have a man who's grossly incompetent and we have to win this next election or we're not going to have a country left. Do you think Biden will drop out? Personally, mm-hmm. I think so. Okay. I think so. All right. We'll see what happens. We're going to leave it there. I know you have a crowd to get to upstairs. Thank you very much for your time, Thank Mr. You. President. Good to talk to you. Always good to see you. Thank good you, sir. You. Thank you as well. We'll be back with my interview with former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. On Monday, I was at an event with former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. It was a rally in Franklin, New Hampshire. Afterwards, we did a pull aside is what we call that. And we got a good conversation in with her right after she was greeting voters and taking pictures with them. Here's what she had to say. Um, so you had a good crowd here this morning. We're in Lincoln, New Hampshire. You've got 24 hours to go. And by the polls, a pretty big gap to close. How are you going to do that in 24 hours? I mean, we had 1,200 people last night. You saw we had hundreds of people here. The energy is good. The momentum is good. We are just telling everybody, get to the polls. And I think people know that there's a choice. They also don't necessarily trust the political class or the media class telling them this is a foregone conclusion. They want to go and make that show the power of their voice. And this is a difference between do you want more of the same or do you want a new generational conservative leader? And I think they know that, look, just like me, I voted for Donald Trump twice. Mm -hmm. I was proud to serve in his administration. But rightly or wrongly, chaos follows him. And we don't want to go with a country in disarray and a world on fire and go through four more years of chaos. And people want to turn the page. Today, he's sitting in a courtroom. We have to defeat Joe Biden. We can't ever allow a President Kamala Harris. This is about making sure we get someone who wins a primary, but also wins a general election. I defeat Biden in every one of those by double digits. We got to get it done. Well, there's a lot of polls out there that do show you beating Biden in a in a larger number than uh, than Trump. But, you know, I'm curious how you feel about how the message is getting across, because it doesn't feel like there's a lot of people talking about the general election. Um, It feels like there's a lot of people talking about the primary. So tell me, you know, do you feel like that message is not connecting in terms of what might happen in the general election? Because Trump seems to feel like he's got this primary sewn up and and he's on to the general. I mean, look, Trump says things that doesn't make it true. I look at the actions of it. Hundreds of people at every one of our events, 1,200 people last night, hundreds today. They're saying they want something different and they don't care about any poll they see. They know that they have a chance to change the direction of our country tomorrow. And I think you're going to see them show up and do that. So uh, you've kind of sharpened some of your attacks on him in recent days going after his age. Do you wish that you had done that sooner? No, because there were other people in the race. You know, we started with 13 or 14 people in the race. My job was to get one out at a time. And now we're down to two. And so now I'm showing the contrast between me and Trump. And it's the fact that, look, he spent trillions of dollars in debt and putting us in debt. And our kids are never going to forgive us for it. We look at the fact that he's continuing to talk about things in the past and vendettas. We need someone with a vision for the future. This is not personal for me. I don't dislike him. 
This is about the fact that I don't want my kids to live like this. We can't continue to have this division. We can't continue to be distracted. We can't continue to have this chaotic feeling around us. We've got to get this done. And, you know, I'm listening to the political class and the media class. They're okay with the chaos. Average Americans are not okay with the chaos. They want results. They're tired of working for government. They want government to serve them. And they're worried about their families and their kids' future. So you mentioned that there were other people in the race. Yesterday, Governor DeSantis got out. It's interesting to me. I spoke to former President Trump last night. He said that someone had reached out to him, but that he didn't take the call uh, was the way I understood it. Did Ron DeSantis reach out to you, say, I'd like to campaign alongside of you? Have you talked to him? Do you expect to? No, I haven't talked to him, but I will say that, look, he... He, it's personal to get into a race. It's even more personal to get out of a race. He's been a good governor and we wish him well. But, you know, in terms of, of coalescing and pulling that, is that something you would want? You know, why would you not call him and say, let's go out and campaign together today in New Hampshire? You know, he, he has endorsed President Trump at this point. So is that a loss for you? I mean, I think everybody's missing who I am at my core. I've never fought to get the political class. You won't see me get a lot of South Carolina legislative endorsements. Why? because I fought against them. I fought against them when they were trying to hide things on voice votes and I made them start showing their votes on the record. I made them pass ethics reform. I vetoed half a billion of their pet projects. You're not going to see Congress love me because I'm pushing to have term limits. I'm pushing to have mental competency tests. I'm telling them if they don't get us a budget on time, they're not going to get paid. The political class has never liked me, but that's not who I want to like. At the end of the day, I want to fight for the American people. I did that as governor. I did it as ambassador and I'm going to do it as president. So you said you don't necessarily have a base. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing politically for you? I have a base. I don't. You said that in an interview. You said, I don't have a base necessarily. I want everyone. Well, no, that means I'm not trying to just pick a certain segment of the population I want. I want conservative Republicans. I want moderate Republicans. I want independents. I want conservative Democrats. This should be a story about addition. The problem that we're seeing in politics now is they're trying to decide who they want. You should want the majority of Americans. Mm -hmm. If Republicans have lost the last seven out of eight popular votes for president, we should not be proud of that. We should be saying we want more people in, not push people out. That's not how you win elections. And at the end of the day, you do results and policy. It's no drama with me. There's no personal feelings with me. This is about the fact that we have a country to save. I have a husband serving overseas. I've got a daughter who just got married and I saw how hard it was for them to buy a home. We need to start making sure that we get the economy back on track. We get education back to the basics. We secure our border with no more excuses. We bring law and order back to our country and that we prevent wars and start putting our enemies on their heels. That's what I want for America. So one of the things that is talked about a lot right now in New Hampshire is the registered unaffiliated voter category. So in that category, not registered Democrats, as um, we've heard uh, on the trail as well, But that category, you have about 50 percent in the polls and Trump has around 30 to 40. Um, Can you win with that margin if he's getting that chunk of those registered unaffiliated voters? You know, it's amazing. You you look at the fact we are seeing suburban women come back to us. We're seeing college, young college kids come back into the fold with us. Because they want to see somebody who's going to be a new voice, a fresh voice, a fighter for them. That's what we care about. That's what we've always cared about is normal people. We don't care about the political class. We don't care about those that are, you know, trying to fight for the power of stuff. We want to just get normal people and we want it to be in a way that they feel safe and they feel comfortable and they feel like someone's fighting for them. 
And I think that's what's missing in America right now. And you've got two, you've got Trump and Biden. Don't overlook the fact 70% of Americans say they don't want a Trump-Biden rematch. The majority of Americans disprove of Trump and disprove of Biden. That's not what you want as a leader in the country. You want someone where people are going to feel hopeful again and where they know that you're going to have a fighter and a worker. I have campaigned here for almost a year now, touching every hand, shaking, uh, answering every question, being the last person to leave. I don't fly in here and do a rally and leave. And I can tell you, going into South Carolina, for those that say, oh, this is more of an independent state, how is she going to win South Carolina? I won it twice. I was a Tea Party governor. I know what it takes to listen to people, to fight for people, to earn their support. I do it the hard way. So do you expect to win tomorrow night? I've always been consistent on this. I wanted to be strong in Iowa. We started with 2%. We finished with 20%. I want to be even stronger in New Hampshire. And then I want to be stronger than that in South Carolina. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And you've got really the political and and media elite saying everybody needs to coalesce around Donald Mm -hmm. Trump. He literally got 56,000 votes out of a state of 3 million. That's it. We don't believe in coronations in this country. We believe in democracy. I'm in this for the long haul. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. From here, we're going to go into my sweet state of South Carolina, and we're going to fight for that. And then we're going to go on. Do you think you can win South Carolina? I've won it twice. I know what it takes to do well. I mean, you've seen the polls. I'm sure you have your own polling, too. So I'm saying... You say you will do well tomorrow night. You want to be strong tomorrow night in New Hampshire. Can you define that? What does that look like? We won't know till we see the numbers. You guys will define what strong is. You, you know, you'll come out and say she had a strong showing or she didn't. So we'll know what that is tomorrow. But I also know with South Carolina, there's never, there hasn't been any good credible polls coming out of South Carolina, mm-hmm. but I do know what my favorabilities are. I do know that South Carolinians know I fought for them every single day. I do know that South Carolinians know I passed the toughest illegal immigration law in the country. I passed voter ID. I did tort reform. We cut their taxes. We paid down debt. We did pension reform. We focused on turning South Carolina into an economic powerhouse. They know I fought for them. And so we're going to go back there and we're going to fight for them again. But I know how to win South Carolina. And guess what? Aside from everybody, I am a conservative. No one can show how I'm not. The difference is, I appeal to more than just conservatives. And that's the difference. Last question. You said that people don't want a Trump-Biden matchup. If that's what it turns out to be, would you consider running independently? I've always said I'm not going to do that. I mean, I am a Republican. I'm running in a Republican primary and I'm going to win in a Republican primary. I don't need to think about running as an independent. This is about our country. This is about getting our party to realize this is a story of addition, not subtraction. And this is about what I can do that is going to make my kids proud, that's going to make Americans proud, and it's going to be strong again. We've got to do that. I strongly believe in that. And I will spend every day proving to the people of this country that they made a good decision. You know, last question. Obviously, it gets sharp in the final days. Um, Do you ever see yourself in a Trump administration if it were to come to that? Or is that something you've absolutely closed the door on? Martha, I am running to win this race. And as much as everybody wants to talk about what I'm going to do, at some point, y'all are going to realize that I won this race and you're going to have to accept when I say I told you so. It is slow. He wins the race. I've done this the entire time. We're going to finish it. I don't want anything else. I don't want anything Mm -hmm. else. I'm running to be president. I'm not going to pull out because somebody wants to be coronated. I'm not going to pull out because they think that I shouldn't be there. The political class has never thought I should be here. 
in South Carolina, in Congress, at the U.N., no one has ever thought I should be here. And that's exactly why I should be here, because I'm fighting for normal people. And I'll always do that. Well, having covered New Hampshire for many years, I can say that there are always a lot of surprises in New Hampshire and all along the presidential road. So thank you very much for talking with us this morning. And we watch uh, with great interest uh, to see how it all unfolds tomorrow. Thanks. Thank you very much, Governor. Good to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. The Untold Story continues right after this. Before Florida Governor Ron DeSantis withdrew from the race, I had an opportunity to sit down with voters from across the state and ask them what they were looking for, which candidates they were passionate about. And here's part of our interesting conversation at the Bookery in Manchester, New Hampshire. So we are here at the Bookery in New Hampshire. It's a great coffee shop, bookstore, a great place for people to come and talk to each other and friends to gather. So we're really happy that we have a great group of New Hampshire voters here to talk to us today about what's happening this week here, which is a a very big first in the nation primary contest that's going to happen on Tuesday evening here. So welcome to all of you. I I thank you all for taking some time out of your weekend and coming to talk to us. Um, Do you think you're going to get a lot of turnout here? Because that's always a big discussion between Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, New Hampshire didn't have a huge turnout. It was pretty cold there. But do you think you're going to get a lot of people showing up on Tuesday? I, I, I don't think so. I know that the Secretary of State expects record turnout, but yeah. this is the lowest like enthusiasm primary I can remember seeing. Why do you think that is? Um, I think, you know, there's that, you know, just feeling that it's, uh, it's going to be Trump and Biden again. Oh, no, there we go. I think the, the Secretary of State, when he put out this very large estimate, um, is just because there's no Democrat primary and independents can vote in either primary here. So there was a thought that a lot of independents would show up. I don't. I don't know. I'm. I'm not. Especially after Iowa being record low turnout. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. So how many of you are undecided at this point? Would you say? Just, just you, Thomas. So, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and um, how long you've lived here and, and how you're feeling as you look towards Tuesday. Sure. Uh, so, I've been uh, in New Hampshire all my life, uh, except I was born in Massachusetts. Um, I'm a history teacher. And so, one of the things for me that is important in this primary season is all about civic discourse. So, the ability to have a conversation that we're having, like we are now, about complex political issues. Uh, I always look to history as a model for that. Mm-hmm. And you know, given the candidates that we have, I'm just not seeing substance, you know, conversation deep on the issues that are affecting everybody. Um, you know, whether it's getting gas or going to the grocery store, you know, all of those things that are really important uh, to everyday citizens who are not having those deep conversations. So what's your, how do you have a, are you leaning in, in one direction or another? And how has it changed over time? Were you kind of in one camp and now in another? Um, I mean, I think I've always had a particular idea in mind, but I always try to keep it open. And to me, the decision isn't really made until I close that curtain on Tuesday mm-hmm. and cast my vote. Understood. I, I, you know, I, I think that a lot of people thought that this race was going to look different than it looks right now. You're, you're shaking your head. Can you introduce yourself to the group and, and where are you from and, and how are you leaning at this point? So I'm Will Bannister. I'm from Hillsborough, so 
little little town guy. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that uh, I was we were going to see a different race than than what we saw in 2020. Uh, just uh, like other people stated, you know, there was other candidates that were possibly more viable um, than just a Trump Biden uh, race again. But unfortunately, it's, it's not turning out that way at this point. So you, um, did you have, which other candidates were you kind of drawn to? Did you attend events for any of them? So uh, I didn't attend any events, just uh, wasn't able to get to them. Yeah. Uh, I did want to attend some uh, events. I was looking at uh, Vivek, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know, with some of the issues that were raised, uh, kind of made me walk back a little bit on that, mm-hmm. kind of go back to, you know, supporting Trump more mm-hmm. uh, than what I had before. And so why, tell me why you think that you're leaning towards the former president again. So um, it was a big deal, uh, I think, with how we felt as, as neighbors, right, in small town America. Um, I felt there was, there's, there's a drastic change that has happened uh, since when Trump was president and now that that we have Biden in office. Uh, everyone feels it. Everyone's wallet feels the economic strains that we have now. Uh, and there's just a different air about diversity and, and not being able to come to the table and actually have a, a, a talk. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So what do you think happens if it's a Trump-Biden matchup? Well, either, either or both. I, I think that enough of the country has felt uh, the strain of the last few years and not feeling that we're, we're uh, what's the word I'm looking for, kind of independent as a country. Mm. I think that we need to look inward instead of outward mm-hmm. to other countries and we need to come back to it. So I, I hope that Trump can bring us back together as a country and more self-sustainable. What's the number one thing that you hope he will fix? or that you care about um, I, issue? Me personally, our, our security here, national security is as far as with our, our border mm-hmm. right So Isaiah, uh, you're a 21-year-old senior at Dartmouth, and um, you live in New Hampshire. This is your home. Um, how, how are you leaning, and how does you know how does how is this all talked about on campus at Dartmouth these days? Yeah, well, so I'm, I'm originally from Utah, but planning on voting in New Hampshire, like many students. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of the students are uh, planning are planning on, I think, voting for Haley insofar as they are going to be participating in the primary. Mm-hmm. Um, I intend to vote for Haley as well. I think that on the electability issue, she's up 17 points against Biden, um, according to the Wall Street Journal, and Trump and Biden seem to be neck. And that I have serious doubts that Trump would be able to pull out a victory against Biden, um, especially considering that there are so many unknowns between now and the fall of 2020 election. Um, with Donald Trump's court cases, he could very well be a convicted felon at that point. And I don't think that the independents that a Republican candidate would need to get would come out to support him. And so, um, I mean, on campus, I'm involved with a group called American Conservation Coalition that's really interested in conservative solutions to climate change and energy. Um, and Haley is, I think, the leading candidate on that right now. She's 
providing a common sense uh, discussion on this, where American energy dominance can actually be really good for uh, climate issues. And data show that uh, that issue has swung the election for Joe Biden and the Democrats in 2020. And so I think that if we elect a Republican candidate that's good on that issue and other issues as well, debt, national security are really important to me, that that'd be really good for um, electoral victories for Republicans and the conservative issues that I care about. How many of you think that this will be a, a Trump nomination, whether regardless of whether or not you support him? More likely than not. More likely than not. I don't know, but I mean, I know I'm going to go in there and I'm going to vote for the guy who has the best conservative record mm -hmm. and uh, has integrity and um, is thinking about other people's issues and not his own issues. I don't want this race when we get down to the general election to be all about Trump and his problems and not about us. That is how you lose a general election. Yeah, yeah I'd agree with those comments largely. I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm choosing probably to vote for Nikki Haley on Tuesday, but um, I mean, your comments about Trump and how he ran up the debt by $7.8 trillion, mm -hmm. like, yeah. that's absolutely correct. And like, people don't know that. I mean, by the time Well, he I would say, we asked him this about this at the town hall, he would say, it was COVID. Yeah. We had no choice but to throw billions of dollars to keep this, the businesses open. I'm just saying, this is what he would but say. He would ran up the debt more before the CARES mm -hmm. Act than any other Lots of nods history. all around. Yeah. So uh, he was already on track. I mean, yeah. COVID actually sort of saved his border issues mm -hmm. because he was on track to have more illegals come in uh, than before Obama, before COVID, which kind of mm -hmm. shut down the border. So, I mean, again, he is actually, he's all bark and no bite, and we have mm -hmm. had negative outcomes because of it. We have, we're kind of saddled with them, but then we don't get anything for it. On the debt, by the time that I'm 49 years old, in 2051, it's anticipated that that debt will be the largest federal program. I don't want to be paying that. Like, and those key income income year, earning years, you know? Um, I might take a different stance. I think that Haley's the only one who's doing that right yeah. now. So I think on that issue, she wins. Well, honest on the debt? The president sets what he wants for a budget, but it's still Congress and the dysfunction in Congress that increases our debt. It's Congress's spending that increases our debt. And constitutional-wise, it starts in Congress. It starts in the House of Representatives. But he didn't have to sign it, and he did. Do you think that, because I, I'm sitting here, I remember being here um, last time around in the Democrat primary, we were covering that, and President Biden came in fifth. He's President Biden now. He came in fifth, uh, skipped New Hampshire, went straight to South Carolina. And, you know, at that point when I was asking people who they thought was going to be the candidate, Buttigieg, you know, Sanders, do you think it's possible that there are twists to come or is the gulf just too large and the sort of incumbency factor for Trump too big? This is unprecedented waters. Like, we are in uncharted waters. Um, who knows? Trump breaks all rules of political science on a regular basis. So I, I, who knows what's going to happen with his court cases, at the convention. Lots of things could still happen. Yeah. I don't know why any Democrat would vote for Biden in this election. He's like, he dissed you. He dissed your, your primary. He dissed your vote. He doesn't deserve your vote. So you're saying in New Hampshire, you're, you think they, they, and I think some of them are very upset that New Hampshire is being um, sidelined and overlooked. He has a 38 percent approval rating in New Hampshire currently, but he's yeah. still beating Trump. And that is, to me, that's an indictment of mm -hmm. how politically toxic Trump is. I'm very involved in state level elections. This state is a purple state, and we have struggled down ballot since 2016. The voters, the independent mm -hmm. voters, think that he is toxic. Yeah. 
Let me ask you, um, you know, he's brought it up a few times recently, the issue of a vice presidential candidate. Um, if it were to be a Trump ticket, is there someone that, if you are not voting for President Trump, is there somebody who would make it palatable for you to vote for President Trump? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go this way. I'll start with you. Yeah. Nobody, you wouldn't vote for him no matter what. I am at the point that I, I no longer want to be the party of lockdowns, the party of warp speed, the party of take the guns, and the party of irresponsible spending. So I probably will not be voting for Trump. I just won't vote in the mm -hmm. uh, go vote down ballot. Mm -hmm. But I don't see him picking anybody. That would be very good. He's going to pick like a Nikki Haley or a Christy Noem or uh, an Elise Stefanik, and they were all pretty much the same type of politicians that are okay. very moderate. Isaiah? No, I mean, I don't think so at this point. Um, there are lots of uh, variables that could come up between now and then. But mm -hmm. I don't think Trump or Biden have the character or mental acuity to be present, even beyond the issues. Trump, just this weekend, was thought that he was talking about Nancy Pelosi and he mentioned Nikki Haley. Like, mm -hmm. this man is only a few years younger than Joe Biden, and I don't think he's prepared in that level to be president. And so, um, you know, if it came to that, I'd probably, again, so many things could change. I'd probably be looking to other candidates to either write in or third party mm -hmm. candidates. Well, um, I'm I'm okay with who he picks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that, yeah, that's what he said. He said it doesn't really matter anyway yeah. who I pick. I mean, it, I, I, but he's only going to be there for four years, right? right? This is a second term. So, in that sense, do you think it's a little bit more important this time around? I, okay, yeah, I'll agree with you there. I just the only thing that I worry about is with it only being four years. It's like you know, it's, it's that stop and go of the first four years, if you will, of, mm -hmm. of uh, a presidency. It's very hard to get some things moving off the ground. Mm -hmm. You really need that additional four years. So yeah, it, it would be. There has to be some thought process and mm -hmm. for those critical four years. What do you think, Tony? Um, I think there's several candidates that I would be, um, I'd like to see him pick. Um, you voted for Trump last time around, yes, and now you're supporting Haley, right? I am supporting yeah. Haley. Um, I, I'm, for the first time in my life, I've become a one issue voter, and that's what's happening overseas. And I think we need to barrel down and become the America we were in the 1980s. And the America we are today, the idea of isolationism, it's, it's a dead idea. And it should have been a dead idea at the end of the Cold War. But for some ways, when we brought it back, and it's been to our detriment. Um, I would like to see someone who is a little bit more moderate. I appreciate a lot of things like of Trump, and yeah, as you said, I've supported him in the past, and I wouldn't have a problem voting for him now. But I'd like to see someone that could step into that office afterwards. If you look at what Trump did with um, uh, his previous vice president, I can't believe I Mike, Mike Pence. You. If you look at what Trump did with Pence, Pence as vice president had far more responsibility than most mm -hmm. vice presidents have. And I thought Pence did a great job as vice president. Mm -hmm. So if you pick someone good and they run as, or they work as vice president, they will be fine to step into the race for president. You think there's any chance that Trump would pick Nikki Haley or that she would say yes? I would like to think so, and I would, I would be pretty positive she'd say yes. You know, it'd still be a mm -hmm. down the road before that decision is made, and I think it'd be a lot Thomas, what do you think, Thomas? Um, 
mean, I think the the choice for vice president has become even more important, like as uh, politics have progressed. I mean, now we have you know two candidates who are likely uh, to be the nominees who are over 80 years old. Um, you know, uh, Isaiah mentioned you know potential cognitive issues of former President Trump. Biden's I think are well documented. So you really have to look forward before thinking when you're talking about who you're going to vote for for president uh, when thinking about like their VP pick. Um, I think uh, what would make me consider uh, a Trump vote might be the congresswoman from New York, uh, Stefanik. I think she has a moderate, uh, moderate record, um, you know, which is, would be important for building political capital because that's all it is. I mean, you can get somebody elected with the most conservative, the most liberal record um, to the White House, and it's not going to mean anything if they can't build a voting coalition uh, to get things done. Um, and so. You know, I think we really do have to be forward thinking about that, whether it's four years or eight years. How many of you think that abortion, which was obviously a big issue in the 20, in the 22 midterm election, is something that could derail a Republican presidential candidate because of the Supreme Court decision? Personally, I think uh, out of all the candidates, uh, Governor Haley had the best response about that and mm-hmm. pointing out that, you know, you can be somebody who's a pro-life individual, but looking at, you know, what is a reasonable agreement that you can make among, uh, you know, the opposing views. And so if you're, you know, looking at Nikki Haley being the next nominee for uh, the Republican Party, you know, it wouldn't, uh, it, it wouldn't affect things as much as some of the others. I think there'll be bigger issues if Trump is the nominee. Uh, that'll be it'll impact the election more. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that it just matters a little bit less for president than it does at state level, like mm-hmm. if you're running for governor. Um, yeah. Are there? Yeah, I think, I mean, again, so many unknowns between now and then. I think that I, I probably agree that there are probably going to be other issues that are more top of mind. Um, I think that, you know, President Trump has stepped back from a traditionally conservative position on, on life in many ways recently. Um, I think that, you know, he can get credit for uh, delivering that victory uh, for the for the Dobbs decision with uh, the judicial nominations to a certain degree. Um, but I think that we're seeing more credible pro-life messaging from uh, Haley. And, you know, I think that exploring other, like, ways to be holistically pro-life. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, like, expansion the child tax credit, things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, it could be, could be good for Republicans, but I don't know if it's going to be that major of an issue. I want to squeeze in one or two more topics before I let you guys go. Um, anyone interested in a no-labels matchup between a Democrat and a Republican? If they can deliver the conservative and limited government ideas that I'm looking for, potentially, mm-hmm. I would, we totally depend on who's on that ticket. Um, I think that uh, John Huntsman has been talked about um, as someone who could potentially be on that ticket. I, mm-hmm. I, I might be interested in looking at that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we'll have to see where, where that goes. And what about any third-party candidates, RFK Jr., I mean, Cornell I West. To, like consider uh, all parties and all choices. So the, the no labels movement, I think, is highlighting something important. I mean, you know, our first president, George Washington, warned about political parties in his mm-hmm. farewell address, and that the next, literally, the next election, political parties. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so I think it should be something to consider because it's about the issues, not about the parties. Uh, you know, when we're talking about voting, so we're voting on you know things that matter most to us. It shouldn't be you know things that matter for what party. And if it's a Trump-Biden, no major third-party election, who do you think wins? Not who do you want to win, but what do you think happens? Biden will win. I think, I agree, I think Biden will win. Yeah. I think it's a... What about Tom? 
What do you think? I think Trump. You think Trump? All right. Melissa, Isaiah, Teresa, Will, Tony, Thomas, thank you all very much. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for The Untold Story. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. I'm Martha McCallum, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.